Forgotten Classics, where a good story never goes out of style. I'm Julie, and here we have episode 363 of Forgotten Classics, where we continue with The Wind Boy. First, though, a podcast highlight. Now, this is a podcast I've mentioned many times in the past and will doubtless mention many times in the future. The Classic Tales podcast, where B.J. Harrison uses his velvet tones and wonderful voices to bring old literature to life. Right now, he is on the second episode of The Secret Adversary by Agatha Christie. Now, some of you may recall, I actually read that story some time ago, but if you would like to also get B.J. Harrison's take, you're not going to hurt my feelings. I'm listening to it myself. I like to hear more than one audio version of a book a lot of the time. It gives you different interpretations, different takes, and just lets you enjoy the story again. So I highly recommend it. You know I like it because I read it here. It's about a couple of young adventurers. And so it is very different than the Hercule Poirot or Miss Marple tales. Give it a try and the link is in the show notes. Now let's talk about last time. It was all about Gentian. Nothing about the masker. Other than maybe a passing thought, but it was really about Gentian weaving herself some starry brightness so she could have a nightgown made that's like Nan's, sleeping in it and having it, I don't know, transport her to the realm of the angels almost it sounded like up on the mountaintop where the stars are so close i really liked that idea of the majestic presence which i assume was angelic that she both wanted to follow and feared to follow that goes along with everything i've ever heard about that kind of being right they always say be not afraid as the very first bit And I also liked the idea from when she was learning to weave that her inner intentions influenced the result of her art, which would be, in this case, the starry brightness cloth. So your art reflects your soul and your intentions can come out through your fingers. One of the most interesting things I thought was that Gentian wanted to make it for her mother and give it to her, and that was not going to be allowed either. That made all the stars go away. And it's a funny thing because it's such a generous impulse, and when I was a kid, I never thought that seemed right. And even now, reading it again, I struggled with that a little. But really, if the intention of art is to make a pure expression, you can't think about doing it for someone else or pleasing someone else, although I think that's not necessarily always the case. If you're writing a song for someone, you're thinking about how it's going to affect them. But in this case, she's talking about something that's going to be used for Gentian, not for her mother, and each person has to make their own. So if it's an expression of your soul, you have to express yourself. Very interesting, and certainly a fun part of the story, although it's not moving the action forward. We are going to get some action moved forward this week. Oh, no kidding. We've got the masker on board, and Kay is going to make an interesting discovery. So let's get to it. Let's dive in.
Chapter 13 Kay and the Masker The next afternoon, Kay and Gentian took their homework out under the cherry tree. There was more than usual of it today, and they wanted to get it all out of the way before twilight. For at twilight they had promised each other to lie in wait for the masker, and they hoped that the wind boy would come to join them. Even as they studied, they kept glancing up, half expecting to see him standing in the garden waiting for them, and several times Gentian was sure she spied a bit of his purple wings when the spring wind moved overhead in the cherry tree. "'You really must study, Gentian,' Kay at last cried a little impatiently. "'If you keep looking up there for him all the time and thinking about him, you'll never get done this afternoon. Then Mother will keep us in tonight.' Gentian sighed. All right, she said. I'll try. And she bent over her lesson book determinedly. Just then, the wind boy did come running down from the clear land and into the boughs of the cherry tree. But he made no more sound than the spring wind had already made there. So the children did not let themselves look up. He knelt in a forked branch, watching them for some time, but they did not lift their eyes from their books. He shook the boughs then, making the air sweet with cherry blossom smell. Still they would not look. He spread his purple wings and drifted to the grass and, standing directly before them, looked down wistfully at the coppery tops of their bent heads. He had come to play with them. But if you are to play with a wind boy, you must first see him, and he has no way of getting your attention unless you are quite ready to give it. So he waited now in vain for his human playmates. At last, too proud to stay longer unwanted, he turned away and flew slowly over the hedge and back to the artist's tulip garden. There he stretched himself out in the grassy center where the sun was warmest and stayed half asleep, waiting for twilight and time to watch for the masker. But back under the cherry tree, it was Gentian who was now rebuking Kay. Really, Kay, unless you stop staring up at the nursery window, you'll never get done, and Mother won't let us out in the twilight. Please. You see, Rose Marie had come to her high nursery window and stood looking down at the brother and sister. She was hoping that Kay would soon put by his books and climb. For if she herself might not climb up the brown limbs of that old cherry tree among the budding blossoms, the next best thing was to watch someone else doing it. But today, alas, he did not climb. And Rosemarie, as the wind boy, turned away after a while, lonely and disappointed. After that, Kay and Gentian got on famously with the work they had set themselves, and there was only silence and now and then the turning of a page in the tiny garden. But after all, the wind boy was not patient enough to wait for twilight to return to the little brown house and his playmates. He found them through with an early supper, tossing a ball before the door. They were throwing it back and forth to each other, calling and laughing. The wind boy heard their happy voices before he came to the hedge. Gentian was the first to see him and clapped her hands. So you've come, she cried. We've been looking and looking for you, but it's not time to watch for the masker yet. What shall we play till twilight? She knew very well, of course, that the wind boy would not be able to catch or throw their ball, for she remembered that he could not even open the secret door that needed only a touch. 
In the clear land, you must know, the wind boy could open doors well enough and play ball, too. It was only down here he had no touch for things. Let's play hide-and-seek, he suggested. I'll blind first. Okay, let's, both children agreed. So the wind boy faced the cherry tree and, crossing his arms on the old brown trunk, closed his eyes against them. Away Gentian ran, almost before he had begun to count, around the house and out across the meadow at the back. There, in a hollow behind some huckleberry bushes, she crouched to hide. But Kay had not got so far. He wanted to get his goal and fool the wind boy, who he thought must have heard Gentian running away around the house and would go in that direction, leaving him safe to slip in and get free. So very softly, moving on his toes, he got to the lilac hedge and worked his way in among the bushes. Once there, safely hidden, he stood erect. The wind boy did just as Kay had expected. When he had finished counting, he turned about and looked all around carefully. For an instant, he looked straight at Kay's hiding place, and Kay felt that their eyes met. But they could not have, for the wind boy never saw him there at all, peering out through the green leaves. Once again, he turned on his heels, looking carefully every way. Then he ran away in the direction he had heard Gentian's feet taking. Now Kay would have jumped from his hiding place and got his goal with ease, if he had not heard a sound behind him. He turned to see what it was, and stayed as though frozen. For there, standing close against a tree trunk on the artist's lawn, and looking back around it as though in fear of someone seeing from the windows of the great house, was the masker. It had come early tonight. Kay wanted to shout for the wind boy and Gentian, but that would do no good, he knew, for the masker would only escape again. Then he remembered the policeman, who was to keep special watch every evening. He looked out carefully toward the street. Yes, there he was, just arrived for duty, and pacing back and forth with an easy call. But Kay did not call. No, he suddenly decided to catch the masker for himself and have all the fun of waving the mask in the faces of the wind boy and gentian when they should come back to the goal. So he simply stayed perfectly still, waiting in his leafy secrecy. And now that he had decided on a brave thing, the masker suddenly became not so terrifying to him. It was a figure only about his own height, covered from neck to heels in a blue silk cape. The cape had a peaked hood, and this was pulled over the masker's head. The mask itself was the only frightening thing, and since he knew that it was a mask, why, why mind it? Anyway, seeing close like this in late afternoon light, it was almost more comical than horrible. The long green eyes, the big brown ears, the pointed nose, and the turned-down mouth came very near to making him laugh, and so give away his hiding place. But he had no intention of doing that. He waited, hoping with all his heart that the policeman would not look over the hedge and see the masker too. After a minute, the masker left the concealment of the tree and ran very swiftly toward the hole in the hedge. To reach the hole, it had to pass Kay. He leapt out and caught at the flying cape. With a startled but stifled scream, the masker wrenched the cape from his grasp and fled back across the grass right toward the artist's house. 
This time it did not stop to hide behind the trees, for Kay was after it. Right at once he realized the masker was making for the secret door behind the syringa bush. Well, that should not happen again, not if he could help it. He ran faster than he had known he could run, taking a shortcut right across a bed of jungles. That headed the masker off before it could get near the syringa bush. It swerved off and sped away in the direction of the tulip garden. Down the long grassy paths it ran, the blue cape streaming behind it like a streak of cloud, for Kay had pulled it loose from one shoulder. But Kay was gaining, and then the masker stopped bothering about paths and dashed through flower beds, over ferns, over freshly planted places, and at last reached the foot of the stone steps leading up to the tulip garden. And Kay followed through everything. To what his mother or the artist would say to all this ruin of their feet, he gave not a thought at that time. He was after the masker, and he meant to catch it. He could only think of that. Just at the top of the steps, the masker tripped over its cape and fell sprawling. Kay, who was close behind and had not time to stop, tripped over the masker and fell sprawling too. Up got the masker to its knees to run again, but Kay reached out a hand and clutched the cape. At that, the masker had to stand still, though tugging, for the cape was fastened securely to a strap about the masker's waist. There, cried Kay, springing up. Now I've got you, you horrid thing that scares children and keeps the wind boy away from his comrades. I'm not afraid of you. And he reached for the mask to tear it off. But the masker itself pulled down the mask before Kay could and Kay gave up his hold on the mask and fell back a step in utter dismay. For the mask coming off had brought the peaked hood with it, and there were the dancing dark curls and the merry brown eyes and rosy cheeks of Rosemarie. And she was laughing. Indeed, she was laughing so hard that her knees gave out and she sank to the ground, shaking with mirth. Oh, I wouldn't have tripped if I hadn't got to laughing, she said when she could stop a little. Didn't I fool you? Wasn't it fun? You never guessed it was I all the time, but how you can run. But Kay had nothing to say. He could only stare and stare. He had never been so close to Rosemarie before or dreamed anybody could be so pretty. But at last he found his voice, though, and asked, was it you all the time? He could hardly believe it. Yes, of course. Didn't you guess? But how did you come by the mask at all? Oh, one day when I was wondering what I should do alone and wanting, oh, so to play with you and your sister. But old Prinny, that's my governess, said I never could. I just found it. It was blowing about the hedge. Old Prinny's nose was buried in a book and she never saw it so I hid it under my cape. I tried it on that night when she left me alone to do my lessons. It was so funny. I laughed and laughed at myself in the mirror on my door. Then I got this blue cape out of Prinny's closet. It's her best Sunday cape, you must know. But I had to keep covered up, didn't I? If my dress showed, everybody would guess. There's a secret door. Yes, behind the syringa, interrupted Kay. Rosemarie looked at him, surprised. Why, that's my secret door. What do you know about it? I'll tell you afterwards, only go on with your story. I found it for myself one day. I was playing Indians, you see. 
Since I was playing alone, I had to be all the Indians and the white settlers, too. Well, the Indian chief was just about to scalp a white man, only the white man tumbled back into some bushes and then ran away and got safe. When I tumbled back among the bushes, it was the syringa bush, you know. Why, I tumbled right into that door, and so I found out about it. I used it for all my play after that. It fitted into so many stories. It is such fun. Yes, it must be. I wish we had a secret door. It's awfully exciting. If only Prinny would let us play together, we could find lots of things to do with it. I should say so. But do you use it when you go out and in with a mask? Yes, and then I run from tree to tree, just like the Indians, you know. Nobody has ever seen me from the windows. Prinny wouldn't be looking out anyway, not then, for she's having supper with the housekeeper. They're having it early tonight because Grandfather's coming home, and they must get me dressed for him. But weren't you afraid of the policeman? No. Why should I be afraid of the policeman? Didn't you know he's on the watch for you to catch you? No. Why? Haven't you heard how frightened everybody is of the mask? Even some of the grown-ups. Your grandfather has told the policeman to catch you. Not you, of course, the masker. No, I didn't know all that. I wouldn't hear about any of it, of course. They would think I might be frightened of the masker myself, I suppose. Rosemary broke into laughter again at the quaint thought. Oh, it would have been all the more fun if I had known that. You wouldn't have been afraid of the policeman if you had known? Kay asked, wondering at her. Yes, perhaps a little, but I would have gone out just the same. Oh, Kay, you must never tell on me. It will be so exciting now. But I want the mask, Rosemarie. You see. And then Kay told her all about the wind boy. She listened and chanted. Aren't you making it all up out of your head? No, no, it is as true as true. He is very unhappy. But once he gets the mask back and has torn it up, everything will come right with him again. Well, of course you must take it to him, then. He must be clever, the wind boy, to have made it so frightening. Only now, Kay, when I give it to you, how am I ever to get into your garden again and look in at your window? If I couldn't play with you, it's been fun to frighten you and have you chase me. Why, last night when you were after me and I got in at my secret door, it was the most fun I've ever had in my whole life. Oh, Rosemarie, why don't you ask your grandfather? He might... Rosemarie shook her head. No, he mightn't. Miss Prine is to say about everything. When she says no, I must never, never ask him. But I should think... Kay had not time to say what he should think, though, for suddenly a voice came calling, Rosemarie? Rosemarie, where are you? The voice sounded vexed and frightened at the same time, for the artist had returned a little earlier than they had expected, and Rosemarie was not to be found. Miss Prine and Polly had searched the whole house, and now they were calling in the grounds. It was Miss Prine's voice the children were hearing. She had come in her hunting to the foot of the stone steps. "'Oh, there she is,' whispered Rosemarie. "'Oh, bother. Stay here and hide, Kay. Here, here is the mask. Give it to the wind boy. Won't she just be furious about the cape, though? I don't care. It's been worth it playing with you.' Then she stood up and ran down the steps. Kay stayed still where she had left him, the mask at his back, Oh, there you are, 
he heard Miss Prine's exasperated voice exclaiming, "'In my best cape! What will you dare next, naughty, naughty, mischievous girl?' For a long way as they went down the grassy path, Kay heard Miss Prine's quick scolding words. But for some time after the voice had faded out, Kay stayed thinking. He thought, "'Rosemarie's not really naughty. It's just that she has nothing else to do but naughtiness. Nobody to play with. If she could play with Gentian and me, she wouldn't want to take Miss Prine's best cape and not get her lessons and frighten little children. We'd find plenty to do without that.' Oh, how jolly it might be. We'd play Indians and shipwreck and everything. Gentian just wants to play fairy stories all the time, but Rosemarie's different. And there's the secret door and all the gardens. He sat on, his eyes bright, thinking up the things they might do with Rosemarie. Why, there would be no end to them. But after some time, he remembered the wind boy and Gentian, who must have come back long ago to the goal, and now were wondering where he was, and perhaps hunting him. He picked up the mask and ran away down the steps. Chapter 14 Nan and the Policeman And as he ran, he noticed the trodden-down flower beds, the broken ferns, the footmarks in newly planted earth. He had done that chasing Rose Marie. She had done it too, of course. But then if he hadn't chased her, she would never have gone that way. What would the artist say when he saw the ruin? What would Detra say when she knew? Kay looked very rueful indeed. But he had been chasing the masker. They couldn't blame him too much. The masker, though, had been Rose Marie. They could blame her. He was not running now, but walking very slowly, thinking. I'll not tell them who the masker was, he said to himself. They ought to just be glad enough that I've got the mask and it can't frighten them any more. Poor Rose Marie's not to be scolded, not because of me. Then he started to run again, for now he could hardly wait to wave the mask in the faces of Gentian and the Wind Boy. But I must tell you about the Wind Boy and Gentian. The Wind Boy had found her quickly enough, and got her goal too, for her feet, even in their sandals, were no match for his strong wings. Together, then, they had hunted for Kay. Of course they could not find him, for it never entered their heads that he might have disobeyed Detra and gone into the artist's grounds. For a while, the policeman, who had been there for some time now, standing near the little swinging gate, kept his silence and watched Gentian searching. Of course, he did not see her comrade, the wind boy. The policeman was smiling behind his mustache, for he thought that at last he was on the trace of the masker. After a time, he called out, "'What are you looking for, little girl?' "'Why, we're playing hide-and-seek, and Kay has hidden himself so well that we can't find him.' Gentian stopped her search to answer very politely, for the children were always a little in awe of this policeman in his important-looking uniform with all its brass buttons. "'But if you saw him,' she added quickly. You mustn't tell. That wouldn't be fair. That's so, little girl. Well, I surely did see him, and I'm standing here watching for him to come back, I am. If he doesn't appear soon, I'll join in your game myself and go look. He's up to something. Take my word. 
The policeman, you must know, had watched Kay steal on his tiptoes to the hedge, crawl in, and disappear. The hedge was so high that he had not seen the masker slipping from tree to tree on the artist's lawn, nor Kay finally chasing it. But while he had waited for Kay to reappear, he had been thinking. And out of his thinking had come the conviction that Kay had gone to some hiding place for the mask, and at twilight would sneak back through the hole in the hedge wearing it. For in spite of Nan, he could not give up the feeling he had had for days that this little foreign boy was all the time the masker. Oh dear, Gentian said so softly to the wind boy that the policeman could not possibly hear. If he's going to stand there like that, there's no fun playing any longer. Well, anyway, the wind boy said, looking about, it's twilight now and time for the masker. It was true. Twilight had come so stealthily that they had not noticed. Let's sit here by the hole, not saying anything, to watch. Gentian nodded. So they sat down on the grass, close up against the hedge, their arms wrapped about their knees to wait and watch in the twilight. Gentian's eyes were dark with excitement. She felt sure that they would catch the masker this time. When it should come creeping through the hole, Gentian would hold it while the wind boy tore off its mask. Oh, if Kay were only here to help and to have the fun too. Why didn't he come out from his hiding place now since he must see that it was twilight? But the policeman had swung open the gate and was coming in. Oh, dear, what did he want now? Why couldn't he keep away till this was over? They wanted to do it all themselves. Gentian was not really afraid of him tonight, for since Mother and Nan were just there in the house, he could do her no harm, of course. But he did spoil the fun. He came right across the grass to Gentian and the wind boy. You've chosen a good place to watch, he said in a whispering secret voice. Guess I'll join you. Gentian did not answer. She forgot politeness and stared straight ahead. Well, of course, if the policeman stayed here and the masker did come through the hedge, he would be the one to catch it. He was so big and strong and his arms were so long. Perhaps he'd put the mask away in his pocket when he got it, and then the wind boy couldn't tear it up at all and would be just as badly off as ever. The wind boy had the same thoughts. He looked at Gentian with troubled, clouded eyes. Oh, bother, he said. Why couldn't he leave it to us? Gentian looked up at the policeman. Perhaps it won't come this twilight, she suggested. Perhaps it will, though, the policeman answered, looking down at her suspiciously. Anyhow, here I sit for a while to see. And down he did sit between Gentian and the wind boy. If the wind boy had not moved quickly, the policeman would have sat on him. For to the policeman, the wind boy was nothing at all. At that moment, they heard running feet coming toward the hedge from the other side. The three watchers straightened up and hearkened tense. And then Kay came bounding through the hole, swinging the mask high above his head, his face shining. The policeman sprang and grabbed him by the shoulder. There, now, I felt it all along, you sly scamp. Kay was taken by surprise, of course, but he was not frightened, only startled. When he saw Gentian and the wind boy, he smiled as though a policeman having him by the shoulder and frowning like a thundercloud was nothing. 
he was so full of his great news. Oh, I caught the masker, he cried to them, and here's the mask for you, wind boy. He raised his arm, the arm that was free of the policeman's clutch, to toss the mask to the wind boy. But the policeman seized it. No, you don't, he said. That there mask goes with me. It's my proof that I caught the masker. He held it fast in his big red hand. You caught the masker, Kay cried in consternation. Why, I caught it myself. How can you say you did? Well, I can say it well enough. I always guessed that you were it, but now I know. I've caught you red-handed with the mask itself. No, no, Kay cried. I chased the masker and caught her. I mean, it. I took the mask and came running with it to the wind boy. It's really his, you know, since he made it. The policeman paid no attention to the mention of the wind boy. Well, son, he asked, who was the masker then if it wasn't yourself? Out with it. But Kay's sure smile had frozen and died. He answered only with silence. At his silence, Gentian and the wind boy were amazed, but the policeman grinned. Oh, do tell quickly, Kay, Gentian pleaded. He mustn't think you're the masker. But Kay stared straight before him. I'm not going to tell, he said quietly. It ought to be enough that I've got the mask and it won't frighten children ever again. So it was you then, sure enough the policeman said, delighted with his own cleverness. And you had everyone but me well fooled, you did. Even that Nan there, who's clever enough other ways, I'll wager. You were the masker all along, and I'll say you were smart about it, too. It took brains to catch you at it, it did. Okay, Gentian cried. How can you let him go on saying that? But Nan, from a window in the little brown house, had seen the policeman out there in the twilight, the mask swinging in one hand, the other holding fast Kay's shoulder. She came running. "'What is it?' she asked the policeman. "'You've got the mask, but why are you holding Kay so?' "'I'm holding him so because he's a mischievous scamp and twas him was the masker all this time. Now I'm going to march him into his mother while we inform her.' Then to the artist who has promised a reward for the catching of him. He's just come home. Between the two, what's to be done with the boy will be decided. But Nan laughed. And the children looked at her in grieved surprise. How could she laugh and they in such trouble? She said, I know very well, Mr. Policeman, that the masker was never Kay. Why, just last evening, when Kay and Gentian were sitting still at the supper table, the masker looked in at the window. Now he couldn't be in two places at once, could he? At the table and at the window. And Nan, Kay cried, glad of this sensible ally. It was I myself who chased the masker tonight and got the mask away from her. It... I was just bringing it to the wind boy when the policeman grabbed me. That's all very fine sounding, said the policeman, but he can't tell us who the masker was or what. It's not that I can't, I won't. Let me see the horrid thing, Nan commanded, but gently, holding out her hand for it. Be careful then, the policeman cautioned her. Nothing must happen to it till the artist has had a look. He never would believe it was as horrible as I said. He always laughed at me. 
Nan held the mask up and looked it square in the green eyes. You are rather horrid, but you are funny, too. She spoke to it, as though it were alive and could hear. It was only mischief that made you first, but then you grew into something worse. You frightened little children. You made one little boy sick. That was wicked of you. So now you must be torn to bits and thrown away on the wind and never, never, never frighten children again. But the policeman was startled by Nan's last words. He stepped quickly toward her to take back the mask. But Nan was too quick for him. She whirled about and tossed it to the wind boy. He caught it with glad eagerness and rushed away, tearing it to little bits as he went. The brown and green leaves and twigs that made it were scattered all about on the grass. Gentian and Kay saw the wind boy lift his wings then and fly away up into the twilight air. For a minute, there was the other village hanging above their own, other houses, other gardens, and away off the other woods and other mountains, all clear in crystal twilight. But then the policeman's voice called them back, and they forgot the clear land. Now you've done it, he cried to Nan. You might have seen how easy broke it was. What did you mean by tossing it up like that? For all that the policeman had seen, alas for him, was Nan throwing the mask into the air, and then it being whirled about in a sudden burst of spring wind and scattered in tiny pieces over the grass. But Nan did not look a bit sorry and neither did she seem afraid of the policeman. No, she went directly to him and lightly lifted his hand from Kay's shoulder. He'll not run away from you, she said. Don't you see, Mr. Policeman, that he's only a little boy and has no place to run to except his mother back there in the house? Well, I suppose you're right. He couldn't escape us now that he's found out. We'd best march him into his mother. Come along, young man. But Nan stood in front of him. Please don't tell his mother tonight, she said. She has only just this minute started to work on the little statue she is making. Evening is her only time for this work she loves best, for all day she has to be at the factory. If you go in and disturb her now, she may not be able to get back to work tonight at all. Artists are like that. The policeman stared. So, but she's got to know something's got to be done to him. When may I tell her? Tomorrow evening when she comes from the factory. Then you may tell her. Until then, I promise you Kay will not run away. All right. I hadn't the mind to disturb her the other night either. Remember? When you live in a town with a great artist. He nodded his head toward the artist's mansion over the hedge. You get to know something about artists and the way they work but I'll go to him now. He does his work mornings. Yes, do go to the artist. I'm sure he won't mind your not having the mask to show. You can say it was my fault. It's getting broken. But the policeman did not move to go for a minute. He was looking into Nan's eyes again. Or rather, he was looking through them to the purple mountains with calm stars just risen in the sky above. His face grew kind in the twilight. No, I'd not tell on you, not for worlds, he said. You can rest easy about that. Then he went. 
Nan turned to Kay. Oh, I didn't, I didn't, he assured her. I never was the masker. Don't I know it? Nan hushed him, putting an arm across his shoulder. But you told him to tell Mother tomorrow. Why, Kay, Gentian said, Mother will believe you too. She won't mind if you say it was never you. Kay straightened. Of course she won't punish me when I say it wasn't I. It isn't that that bothers me. Even if she might, it's how sad she will feel. She wants people to like us so, and now they'll all think us queerer than ever. Not only queer, naughty. Perhaps I'll be expelled from school, and Mother will be miserable, and it will all be my fault. Well, anyway, let's be glad that she's not to be troubled tonight, Nan said. For now that the wind boy is happy again and back with his comrades, this is her chance to get the statuette right. He will look glad of his wings tomorrow and have clear eyes. Oh, do you think the wind boy will come back tonight so that she can see how happy he is? Hardly so soon when he has just got his comrades back. But your mother may follow him to the clear land. That is where she does her true work, you know, even if she does forget about it when you ask her. With an arm across each child's shoulder, Nan turned to the house. Let's steal in very softly and up to my room, she whispered when they had come to the door. Your mother must not be called back from the clear land until she has got the wind boy as he is now into her plastilina. That would spoil everything. But as they slipped past the sitting room's open door, they looked in at Detra. The statue was before her on the table, and her fingers were working quickly and surely on the brow. Her eyes looked straight at Kay, but without seeing. For this was not the real Detra here, their own mother. She was off in the clear land, watching the wind boy at play with his comrades. This that the children saw was only her mechanical self. You know the self that walks and runs and leads you about if you ever chance to walk in your sleep. That self, that part of you, can never go up into the clear land. The children's feet made no noise on the stairs, so quietly they crept up. But when Nan's door was closed behind them, then they could speak. But they did so softly, that no sound of it might drift down from the window and into the room where Detra was working on the wind boy. Nan told them stories. Gentian sat at her feet, leaning against her knee, but Kay sprawled on the floor, his chin in his hands, his eyes looking out into the darkening night. And though Nan's stories were wonderful and magical, still Kay heard little of them that night, for he was promising himself over and over, I won't tell on Rosemarie. No, no matter what they do, I'll not even tell Mother. A good thing the policeman didn't guess. I'm glad, glad he didn't guess. But even so, he dreaded tomorrow.